This is Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast where Medicaid directors and other guests get frank about what it's like to steward the nation's largest health insurance program. Through Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program, 56 agencies administer a complex web of programs that provide access to essential health services. Listen in as we explore some of the challenges Medicaid leaders navigate and their top priorities to deliver services and build health. Welcome to the Medicaid Leadership Exchange. I'm your host, Karen Seaver-Hill. If there's one thing the pandemic was, it was revealing in all sorts of ways. It revealed a lot about our health system, public health, our general mental health, workforce, economic crises. In all of that, it revealed uh, to us how sometimes well-intentioned programs can be poorly aligned and not have the outcomes we intended. So that's what we're going to dig into this season. We're going to invite guests from all quarters, from behavioral health, criminal justice, housing, uh, to help us understand where resources can be more impactful or more efficient if we just could row all in the same direction. So today, we're going to take some time to try and get on the same page. What are the concepts and the language we use when we talk about systems alignment? You're going to hear us weave these terms throughout the season. Uh, we're also going to be frank, because that's what we do on this podcast. What does it look like and feel like when big programs like Medicaid aren't well aligned with other social services. And in the end, this is a conversation about people, what they need, what they deserve, and what they expect from these programs that we're all so vested in. So to start this conversation and to kick off our season, I've invited um, my founding partners and leaders in the Public Sector Leadership Consortium. They are a trio of former Medicaid directors. They're experts in leadership development, and they are well experienced and versed in what it's like to navigate complex systems. So we are in good hands um, through their uh, background and their experience. I'm going to... Um, Take a moment and invite each to introduce themselves, and then we're going to dig into today's conversation. Gretchen, can I start with you? Sure. Hello, everyone. Great to be back on the podcast. My name is Gretchen Hammer. I am a uh, consultant and former Medicaid director in the state of Colorado, and I spend a lot of time thinking about ways to improve our health and human services systems. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Mark. Karen, thank you. I'm Mark Larson, Senior Vice President of the Center for Healthcare Strategies and formerly Medicaid Director from the state of Vermont. Welcome. Welcome back, Mark and Kate. Good morning. I, I too am thrilled to join in my new capacity as the incoming Executive Director of NEMD. I served as Medicaid Director in Connecticut for about eight years. We're glad you're here. Thanks so much, Kate. So like I said, we should start actually so that we're all on page. Gretchen, I'm going to pick on you since you already said this is something you think a lot about. Can you help us in um, uh, a few bullets understand what we mean when we say systems alignment? Sure. Thanks, Karen. I have been a part of a number of projects that have been designed to better align our systems, you know, early childhood and Medicaid systems, behavioral health and Medicaid systems, and Every once in a while, I've had to pause and really think, what are we doing here? What does this work actually mean? And so I think it's really important to just remind ourselves what a system is, right? It is a set of interacting components and parts that are designed to do a task. So I think sometimes of my garden, right? You need the soil, you need the sunlight, you need water, you need plants, you need pollinators. 
And if one component of that system isn't working, then you have you know, worse results or perhaps even no results if you don't have, for example, water. So I, I really try and apply that kind of thinking when we think of our health and human services systems, which are really designed to meet people's basic needs and to help them to thrive, right? To make sure that they have adequate food, shelter, healthcare access, economic stability, and to do promotional things and improve people's lives. So it's really helpful to think about when we think about, though, what does it mean to align our systems, I've really come to think about them as sort of three core ways. And the first is, can we make our systems that are supposed to operate in sequence do that well? So you mentioned criminal justice. When people transition from a criminal justice setting, incarceration to the community, that can go well if the system is well aligned or that could create a huge gap in supports and services for people. Another is when we think about early intervention, right? Supports for individuals, young children with disabilities, their transition into special ed can go really well if it's well organized, the system is, or it can just be really challenging for that family to navigate. So one way to get our systems aligned is when we think about those systems that are supposed to operate sequentially. The other concept is systems that are supposed to operate concurrently. So when we think about those kinds of systems and that kind of alignment, it's making sure that if an individual is receiving supports and services from two different components of a health and human services system, that those are working well. I think often of Medicaid and SNAP, right? People need both healthcare and access to nutritious food. So that's a place where we have to think. The other that we, we talk a lot about and are doing a lot of work on is supporting pregnant people who have a substance use disorder. Those folks can be really lost in our systems if we're not consciously, concurrently making sure they're getting the services and supports. And then the last way we can align systems is to fill gaps, right? We know that there can be gaps in our system that make things more complicated. The example that comes to mind is some states of, in Medicaid are trying to provide family caregivers supports for individuals with disabilities, right? It's a little outside of scope of what Medicaid could be doing for the individual beneficiary, but adding that to the system helps the entire system work if the goal is to help people live in the community and with the people that they love. The other is I think about is adding new services to a service continuum, something like universal home visiting. We've got targeted home visiting in a lot of places, but some states are really thinking about, can we add a new approach to home visiting that's more universal in nature? So those are the three ways that I've seen in our work, alignment of systems. And to do all of that, you do the same thing. You change policy, you change financing, you change culture between organizations, you make data flow. Those are the common levers that we use across whatever systems alignment we're trying to achieve. Perfect. Thanks for the analogy and thanks for the details. Now we know where we're off and running. So let's pressure test a little bit of that concept and um, see what it actually looks like in real life. So Mark, I'll ask you, can you, reflecting on how Gretchen framed what is um, the concept of systems alignment, um, identify some exciting systems alignment efforts that you're aware of? And maybe you could tell us what drives that type of work? Erin, thank you. Uh, so many to choose from, and we've mentioned many already. Um, maybe one that I'll raise up because uh, of a personal investment, personal concern. It's alignment with our child welfare system, uh, which I will say also brings in 
conversations about behavioral health, uh, long-term potential connections with our criminal justice system. And I think we have a particular interest uh, given the vulnerable uh, role, um, position of children in foster care and children in our in our state custody systems, uh, we have a special obligation to serve them well. And I think it's one of those potential uh, places where those concurrent systems don't always uh, work to the to the benefit that we want. Uh, that ability to provide better services along the way creates such great potential for better outcome for a population that we know is has very complex care needs, uh, both in terms of uh, social and health needs. And those levers that Gretchen just mentioned, what wonderful opportunity for champions to be able to align across systems for us to think about the data that we have access to in order to understand the needs better and then to figure out how to deliver care differently. Uh, and really important challenges around how to uh, think about financing in new and creative ways to, to better serve uh, children. I appreciate that example. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Kate, I'm going to turn to you. You know, there are likely partners for Medicaid. Typically, those are sectors that also contribute to health, health outcomes. There are probably also unlikely cross-sector partners that visionary leaders in states aspire to do more aligned work and aspire to different types of outcomes. Are there some unlikely partners that you think of that we could be leaning in and leading toward? Yeah, I, I first want to say it's I'm incredibly compelled by the examples that to which Gretchen and Mark pointed. And I do feel like there is an, an absolute critical mass of states that are identifying that there's uh, proportionately small uh, subparts of uh, folks served by Medicaid who have extremely complex needs and really compel this type of very specific examination of uh, kind of uh, pathways that can uh, better serve, um, reduce complexity, all these things that we're all very compelled by. Um, I, I feel uh, something that I'd like to add to that aspect is um, we we tend to feel that state government uh, is the sort of principal seat of those levers. Uh, and something that I feel all of us are committed to is continually reinforcing the, the primacy of what uh, members can meaningfully contribute in the framing, um, the idea generation, um, really the, the outset of deciding what to do um, from a policy uh, standpoint. Um, there are states, uh, Minnesota is a standout example. Dr. Nathan Chimelo has um, really uh, adopted a model where uh, folks uh, who have lived experience on the program are uh, involved at an early juncture point in, in surfacing solutions. Um, so it would say uh, members are not an unlikely partner, but they are a partner, the primacy of which I think uh, we could think about ways to cultivate. Um, I'd also like to say um, a, a, 
a partner that may feel unlikely um, that I think is worth uh, uh, thinking through and acting on is our state budget offices. Uh, I think uh, there may be a perception that they have the orientation of being uh, purse strings holding or a constraint on uh, innovation and new ideas. Uh, but I think enlisting them to uh, think creatively uh, from a cross-budgetary standpoint um, in terms of optimizing overall spending outcomes can be an exciting part of uh, design of initiatives. Um, so I'd point to the budget officers as, a, as an ally um, that we don't necessarily use as much as we should. I appreciate that. And we're going to come back to um, some of our allies and champions and what motivates them to come with us to better align. So thanks for that lead. Before we get there, I think it would be helpful to listeners to get a better sense of how you do this. All three of you were formerly Medicaid directors, big agencies, they're complex um, agencies with a equally complex set of systems around you. I would love to do a round robin so I could understand what levers you found particularly helpful and particularly a driver to your success, success in building more alignment. Gretchen, can I start with you? Sure. I think in both my personal experience and in the experience I have supporting states working on these initiatives, relationships are one of the most important levers. I mean, Mark started us off talking about child welfare. The child welfare community has its own set of language, its own set of federal regulations, its own set of stakeholders. And you can end up really talking past each other if you don't spend the time to meet one another, get comfortable with one another, build trust, and even develop common language, right? So in the in the child welfare example, prevention means one thing very specific in the child welfare community. Prevention in the healthcare community means kind of something different. And we've actually observed that those relationships are what allow you to say, wait, I don't think I understand what you mean, or gosh, it feels like every idea I have you say no to, can I think about that differently? And, you know, we really have great examples, again, from the state of West Virginia of saying our first instinct as administrators is to sometimes say, you know, that's not allowed. The second question can be, but let me think about how I could get you what you want or we could accomplish what we want through a different pathway, right? So I really just think relationships have been, in again, my personal experience and in observing the work of some states, a critical lever and a lever that um, in the busy world of being a state employee or not taking the time, Kate, as you suggested, to really engage with members and understand and build those relationships, um, those can really undermine alignment processes without before you even get started in some ways. Thank you. Again, I said this could be a round robin. Kate, was there a lever you found particularly uh, effective in building better aligned systems? Yeah, I absolutely love what Gretchen said about relationships. And I think that's foundationally the root of all of this. I, I would say um, humility around not having a premium on good ideas or uh, all the ideas. Um, and an example in Connecticut um, for me was that there was a, um, a grassroots group of 
members uh, who received uh, Medicaid Behavioral Health Services who over time became so active that they developed an annual conference called ICANN, uh, which was designed to illuminate from their perspective the kind of top unmet needs uh, to give folks an opportunity to uh, lead from a content and subject matter expertise standpoint um, and really reveal lived experience. Um, and I think if we had been in a posture of saying, um, you know, the, the agency, the Medicaid agency is kind of the seat of all the um, uh, initiative around this, we would have um, ignored some extremely important learning um, and also uh, uh, the op opportunity to treat people as, as content experts. Terrific. And Mark, was there a lever that you wanted to uh, put on the table as the most effective in your experience? You know, with that relationship, one of the things that I think that we get to is the development of a shared opportunity statement or problem statement so that we all have a general sense of uh, what are we trying to tackle together that is stated in a way that we are all bought into and all invested in. That can drive us to what data do we have, what policy options do we have. But I think it's such an important way of developing trust um, and building that culture of shared respect and understanding when we can state across our our different roles and sectors the this is how this is what we've come together to solve this is what we've come together to achieve uh, and that can become grounding in our work through conflict that is inevitable to to arise we we have so many silos and we beat them up uh, but oftentimes those silos have been developed to be really great silos uh, but they become obstacles when we try to do cross-sector work. And uh, coming to some shared sense of here's what we're trying to do together, I think is really important so that we don't get defensive about the work that has been done previously, because a lot of that work is really important. I appreciate that. Gretchen, did you have a comment? Yeah, Mark, I appreciate that. And, and I don't want to leave our listeners with thinking, oh, you only need to like get to know one another. And, and as you said, Mark, have a shared understanding of the opportunity or challenge. There is in all of this systems work real technical work that tends to have to happen. You have to change your regulation. You have to you know, file a, some kind of document with the federal government, either from one system or the other to allow something to be different. So, or you have to add, right? A lot of states right now, for example, adding doulas, that's more complex than it sort of looks when you write a piece of legislation. And so I think um, all of the things we've talked about, being grounded in the members and, and including the members, having relationships, you also do need technical expertise. You need the like one person in the agency who actually understands one component of the system where it has been identified as a pinch point. So um, those technical components are also critical and you need leadership uh, to keep those people on board or sometimes they get brought in at the end and they're like, what are you guys even talking about? Because they haven't been on the you know six month journey to come to the conclusion that that's the policy change that needs to be done. So it is really quite a complex leadership challenge that requires both these relationships and the ability to move the parts of the system that need to be moved. Thank you for bringing us to, um, to fully understand how complex a set of tools this is. Mark, did you have another comment to add to this discussion? Gretchen, completely agreeing about the not overlooking the technical components. I'm thinking about work that's happening in many states around cross-sector planning around aging, um, work that's happening around collaboration around housing. If there's a world that might be as technically jargon-filled and detailed, I mean, housing is, is certainly a competitor. Um, but in both of them, 
there's there's really important technical detail systems issues um political nuance that if we overlook and oversimplify that this is just a hey let's just get along we'll get frustrated and we'll have false starts and so we really can't ignore that interplay between the relationship work and the technical work that is in play Perfect. Thank you for helping our conversation get to that very um, key conclusion. I mentioned at the opening of this podcast that ultimately this is all about people. And there are a lot of stakeholders that want to see Medicaid succeed and reach its ends and objectives, many of whom are tuning in because they come with a slightly different point of view, or they're looking from the inside out to see what would be a better vision. So let's talk a little bit about what a well-aligned set of systems and programs look like. Gretchen, how about our external stakeholders? When we're well-aligned, what does that look like for them? I think I found a lot of interest and partnership with state legislators, right? I think Kate mentioned state budget officers, and I completely endorse that. But every state legislator I've ever worked with wants their constituents to be well-served. If they need the support of a state program or a local program, they want that person to be well served. And most, in fact, not all state legislators I've ever worked with also want to be good stewards, right? They recognize that they have been put in a position to be stewards of both state and federal resources. So I think these concepts we've been exploring around alignment find a natural ally and partner in state legislatures who are trying to do the same thing make the world efficient, make sure people get the services that they need, and make sure everyone is acting as a good steward. Terrific. And Kate, because you've raised it already once in our conversation, what does a well-aligned set of systems and programs look like for the members who rely on these services? Well, I I certainly want to just reinvoke that aspect of feeling meaningfully heard and influential on the set of choices that are being made by the Medicaid agency. But I do think ultimately, um, I I think we all uh, wish that the members uh, would have to sort of shoulder less of the responsibility for accessing services and using them in an optimal way. And I would go back to Mark's example of long-term services and supports. In Connecticut, we had uh, over uh, 15 uh, waivers that serve people with home and community-based services. Um, We were able, using some impetus from the federal government and some funding, to develop a universal assessment tool so that an individual uh, could be screened only once. uh, And it was uh, sufficiently comprehensive that behind the scenes, uh, they could be determined uh, and fit to the best waiver that would support their needs. And none of that machinery was on notice to the member. They would uh, simply be informed, you know, where they were going to be receiving their services and how, what their array was. Um, And as much as we can do to minimize that type of burden, given all the challenges members already face in their daily lives, I think is a terrific result. Thank you for bringing us there, Kate. I, um, I'm walking away with a lot of impressions and some great leads as we open this conversation for the rest of the podcast series. Listeners, if you come along with us um, in the next conversations, we'll invite again our colleagues from other specific sectors. We'll get into some of those technical details of how we can make this work work better and to better outcomes. We're going to learn from leaders with uh, tremendous vision um, 
um, to get through some of the complexities to see where we want to arrive on the other side. And we'll understand this is some pretty complex stakeholder management. I think that aligning systems means there's a cross section of listeners who care about what we're talking about. So I hope that you will uh, join us and stick around for more conversations um, in the Medicaid Leadership Exchange. I want to thank you for joining us, but especially thank our guests, our panelists. You can expect to hear from uh, Gretchen and Mark as we go on um, in other podcasts this season. Um, but uh, we thank them today for joining us and we thank our listeners uh, for joining uh, this episode of the Medicaid Leadership Exchange. This podcast is a collaboration between the Center for Healthcare Strategies and the National Association of Medicaid Directors. It is made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.